Hello and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley, and with my good friend Connor McNamara-Stratton, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking and have a spare minute of your time, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. And you can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn, and Connor is at Connor M. Stratton. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking Poetry, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. We also have a website, closetalking.com, where you can find all the past episodes of the show, and Cardboard Box Productions has just launched a newsletter, Unboxed, and if you go to cardboardboxproductionsinc.com, you can subscribe for more behind-the-scenes stuff on Close Talking and all of the other literary and cultural history podcasts that Cardboard Box Productions makes. On with the show. Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am co-host Jack Rossiter-Munley. And I am co-host Connor McNamara-Stratton. And we are back with yet another episode of Line Break Week. We are talking about all things Line Break. We've already set the stage in episode one. We've talked about drama in episode two. We talked about Miming in episode three. We talked about emphasis in episode four. And we talked about Rathem in episode five. And now today we come to you with, yes, you are absolutely correct, ambiguity because those were some pretty ambiguous word pronunciations if i do say so myself ah. Ah, a little bit of foreshadowing there um so yeah today is ambiguous what was that <laughs> it was an unambiguous sound look at you because uh, yeah. i was worried about where it was going and it went exactly where i worried <laughs> yes today we are going to ambiguity city and it is going to be all about the ways that line breaks make things ambiguous in poems, because coming off of our rhythm episode where things got pretty definitive, pretty clear, you know, names for a lot of stuff. And we're talking about how lines mirror each other and how they have anaphora and how they've got, you know, Trotsky hiding in them and whatever. Uh, today, it's all about like, what's going on with these lines? They're making me all confused. It's true. If something has a Greek name, mm. it was before it was. This is blowing my mind right now. <laughs> is this how you're segueing into Lita and the Swan? Oh, that's is that. Is that what's happening right now? Is this why we're in Greece? Ancient Greece? That's so funny. Um, I wish <laughs> I, I could. I really could play it that way. But I have to be honest. I was not thinking about Lita and the Swan. I just got a fun idea thinking about Spondies and um, I went with it. But you're right. One one of the principal examples I turn to uh, when I think about the role of ambiguity is the poem Lita and the Swan by my main man, William Butler Yeats. 
the angry Irishman. Um, <laughs> it's his MMA name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My favorite thing about Yates. Well, not my favorite thing, but a favorite thing that I learned is that a very bad speller. Um, his, I think usually his brother would, would type up the final drafts or write them out when, when they were good, but he was so rhythmic. He would bang on the table as he was writing to get the, the rhythm, right? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Hunter S. Thompson talks about typing out pages from the great Gatsby to feel the rhythm of the words which mm. feels like it's sort of a similar thing. Maybe he got that from Yates. It seems like the kind of white guy he would have gotten that from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, anyway, this was this was taught to me in college, this poem and this moment in the poem. Um, but it's a, it's a good example of ambiguity. But basically, we don't need to read the whole poem, but the, the very beginning of the poem, um, it's, it's about the myth of Leda and the swan Zeus disguises himself as a swan um rapes Leda lead then there's all this Greek uh myth that emerges from that and so the poem is about it so the beginning is like the beginning of of the swan attacking Leda um so the poem starts a sudden blow the great wings beating still above the staggering girl. Um, and the word still uh, is the last word of, of the first line, a sudden blow, the great wings beating still. Um, and so this is kind of a moment of, of sort of ambiguity for like a tiny moment because basically the word still has two meanings that could apply, which is basically um, the, the wings are still beating in a way, like they remain beating, um, but also there's a kind of stillness perhaps that it could be, you know, especially when we're talking about myths, there's a kind of calcifying thing. Um, and so it's like the great wings beating still above the staggering girl. Um, and what the line break allows by kind of enjamming and breaking after still it for, for one thing, it, it goes back to the emphasis. Um, you know, when we talked about emphasis uh, in that episode where it's like, Hey, this is a word. It's the end of the line. You're paying attention to it. But then also because it's the line break, there's a very small moment when you're reading it or listening to it and the sentence hasn't finished yet. And so you're lingering a little bit longer on the word still in an incomplete way. And so what that does is kind of open up um, the possibilities of the word because it's not yet locked into its kind of complete sentence. Um, and so to me, it's, um, it's a thing that you can see people play with, um, a fair amount where 
you've got a word that has, um, you know, maybe multiple meanings or connotations um, that if you had put it in the middle of a long line in a sentence, you wouldn't, your reader wouldn't necessarily think about all of the possibilities that are opened up in that word. But if you're putting it at the end of a line break, um, the kind of confusion of, especially if it's a harsh line break, like the great wings beating still above the staggering girl is like, it's like right in the middle of the phrase in a way. Um, then you're kind of signaling and you're like, you're opening up the possibilities um, of that word. And so that, that kind of can lend it itself to ambiguity um, in a, a good way, I think. Um, there's obviously the word is, is not all ambiguity is good ambiguity, but, um, I think this is kind of an instance where it's a, it's a useful sort of, um, sort of tool to, to, to explore lots of different meanings in a very short space and time. I agree. And I think you're particularly right about uh, not all ambiguity is good ambiguity because this feels like one of those uh, like writerly tricks that's easy to pull and very easy to overdo or overuse. Um, and I think that there's an element of as a reader, you just feel like the poet is trying to trick you if it's not done well. <laughs> sort of like, you know how there's sometimes like in a murder mystery at the end, they're like, well, I knew it was him all along, for he has one fingernail that is a tenth of a degree shorter <laughs> than the rest. So that means he scratches his earlobe every third Thursday or whatever. It's like a detail that you as the audience, like the audience had no way of knowing. Yeah. But the detective somehow knows because, or like in, in the Oceans movie where they already stole the Fabergé egg like three weeks before on a train and everything you've been watching is a joke. Uh, that was so annoying. Right. But like that's annoying because it's an instance of the movie just not telling you stuff that's integral to what you just watched. And so right. you're like, well, why did I watch that? Yeah. You know? And I think that's where like one, when you deploy this kind of ambiguity, you have to be careful because if you're doing it all the time, as a reader, I know I get to that point where I'm just like, why do you keep doing this? Like, it's, it's not, it's not serving a purpose. And this is kind of true of any like literary trick um, or literary, you know, craft move that you can make. But I think the ambiguity kind of sticks out because there are ways to do it that are just not that engaging. And it ends up falling into that realm where you feel like the author is just not playing fair with the audience. But on the other side of it, I think there are instances like this in Lita and the Swan where it feels like a really well-earned reveal in a movie. Um, spoilers here, if you haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, I guess, a five-year-old movie that like made a billion dollars. So if you you've either seen it or you don't care, right? I just watch it for exactly. the first time. That's why I'm excited that I can use this example because you've seen it. But like, Oh, what happens in that Jack's, movie? Wait, sorry. Jack yeah. has been waiting <laughs> for the entirety of 
the lifetime of close talking almost to be able to make this reference. And I have only now allowed him to. Wow. I had no idea. Sorry, Jack. Please continue. Yeah. No, close talk, close talking predates that movie by a little less than a year, but still. Yeah, or okay. no, about a year exactly is when we recorded the first episodes. Okay, all right. Um, but either way, yes. So, like in that movie, <laughs> a character is revealed to be connected to Peter Parker in a way that you never would have guessed as an audience member, but you realize there's also no way you would have known in a very fair way. You've had lots of information presented to you, and you realize when the turn happens that this piece was withheld from you but there was nothing there that would have said you should know this. And it doesn't feel like trickery. It just feels like more information is being added on more layers of meaning are getting put into the movie. The stakes are higher. It's sort of like what you're describing here in Lita and the Swan. You start thinking about all of the different meanings of still before, you know, the one that's like most directly applicable in this situation, the same way that in Spider-Man homecoming, you understand the stakes of the movie already. This character has already been set up as the antagonist, but then you find out that in addition to being the antagonist, it's Peter Parker's girlfriend's dad. What? What? Oh my God. It's crazy. But it's like, it's a great scene. It's a great moment. And it's a very well-earned reveal that doesn't ruin what you've seen before by being like, oh, it turns out... it. An unearned version of that would be just you turn around and the person you thought was the bad guy doesn't exist anymore and it's a different person all of a sudden. Like that doesn't add anything. That's just like surprise for surprises value. Um, like the later seasons of Game of Thrones, it's like we're a show that subverts audience expectations. Oh, what's going on? Ooh, you thought that this was going to happen? Well, guess what? We're just going to crush Cersei under a boulder. What's up? Whereas in the early seasons, it's like TV shows don't normally kill their main character. What are you doing killing your main character at the end of the episode? This is legitimately surprising and interesting. You've subverted my expectations and done something creative. And then by the end, it's just like dragons. Holy shit. What's going on? Melt the throne. Ladies can't be king because they go crazy. Whoa. We're just like, what's going on? Like, come on. Get get real um yeah so yeah that's my rant about ambiguity i guess which is like it can be great it also i think very often similar to what happens in movies and tv shows which i think we're all probably most familiar with like there's a version of this that is probably in aggregate the more common version that gets really annoying yeah i agree i there's another version of ambiguity that's tough that's less common at the sort of like professional level and more common as people are starting to write. And I think it's like an understandable thing, but it's, it's the um, it's basically too much ambiguity where it's like, I don't know what's happening. Are you actually saying something here? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, is it this character or that character or like, is it a metaphor or is it real? But like, in what way and i think the and i i too have written many 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 things that are far too ambiguous but the way that i often think about it is like think of all the possibilities of all things quite a lot 
if you write something that could be a thousand things, that's too many things, you know, like, but if your ambiguity is like, this happened at the end of the story, maybe the character feels sad about it. Maybe they're relieved or maybe both. But the story isn't telling you which of those. That's like three possibilities. Still ambiguous, but it's within a kind of um, small number that is like clear enough about the ambiguity without sort of overwhelming to the point of um, just complete lack of clarity. Um, and so because I think sometimes... Yeah, it's when I've when I've had ambiguity explained to me, then I'm just like, oh, so ambiguity is actually what makes a great piece. And then I'm just like making some some part unclear, but it's um it's too just too unclear. So that's like another on the other side of the spectrum, um can also be a, a an issue. Um, I think a good example of that, it's not a poem, but uh, the end of the short story, The Birds by Daphne du Maurier is a fairly ambiguous ending about what's going to happen next from like a plot perspective, but it leaves you with a distinct feeling. So it has chosen an avenue of ambiguity that in fact enhances the feeling it wants you to have. So the story ends with this guy smoking a cigarette and throwing a packet of like a, a chip wrapper into a fire. And you don't know, like the birds are still rampaging. He's still in danger. You don't know what's going to happen next, but you get the feeling of this kind of like he's nearing the end of his rope. People have been dying. Like it's a very distinctive feeling, even though you don't know what's going to happen next with this whole bird situation. So I think that that really gets at what you're talking about, which is like ambiguity can be great, but you can't just say anything is anything. You have to like choose the thing you're going to be ambiguous about and know why you're choosing it. Yeah, I agree. There's another poem that I really like that feel like has some ambiguity in an interesting way that's using line breaks in an interesting way it's called empty cathedral um and it's by franz wright uh this is the whole poem empty cathedral there's this pew at the back that's been waiting for you all your life like your deathbed christ criminal hanging above Eyes and mouth closed, suggesting before you too enter the third person, light one candle for the here, will you? Yeah. And like, well, for one, I just really like this poem. I don't really know why, but it creates this really intense sense in me. Um, and it's this, well, so in, in one way, you know, it's very, it's a very short poem. Most, most of the lines are like one to three words. Um, there's a couple longer ones. There's, there's one kind of 
more clear um like ambiguity where it's like christ criminal hanging above um and you you kind of it's not well you tell me what you think but the hanging is on its own line and to me it's like on the one hand it's like in the cathedral so it's like the thing that is representing the the christ is hanging normally but then it's also like the actual kind of hanging and crucifixion of christ basically and so i think having the hanging like on its own line kind of emphasizes the the violence in hanging as a word um even though you would kind of normally you could say like oh yeah it's hanging up there or whatever um and then the last the other part which is like sort of less one line break and i think there's more but is just the ending which i think the other thing too about line breaks is like there's also just there's also the overall long lines versus short lines and this poem is very short and is like you know what i mean um but then it ends with this like light one candle for the here will you and will you is like all on its own line and it it it's like almost like menacing in a way like on the one hand it's like like will you like do this kind of like an ask but there's no question mark and so it's like do it or else kind of um but i think that that kind of like effect where it's like i am not sure the tone of this because like that's kind of almost where the ambiguity is is like what's the vibe of this is like helped by the line breaks where you you can have this poem that ends where the full last line is just will you you know um yeah that last line really does stick out because of its lack of a question mark and you're right the the shortness of the lines throughout allow for it to just be those two words on the last line and it does give me just such an intense feeling of like a religious person being like faux solicitous (laughs) in that like almost passive aggressive way of like light one candle for here will you like like, did you you watch midnight mass on netflix no it's one of it's the latest spoil it for me if you want no 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 this isn't a spoiler um there is a twist halfway through the series which i won't tell you um there's a character in it who is a very holier than thou religious lady. And she just clearly thinks she's better than everybody else, but also cloaks all of that uh, relationship to her small town in like being more religious than everyone, but also always inviting everybody to take part. And she wants to hand out Bibles in school. And the Muslim sheriff is like, please don't do this. And she's like, oh, but it's the word of God. Why wouldn't you want this as well? He's like, because we're Muslim. Like, leave my kid out of this in school, please. That's, I'm glad that you have your thing. Let us have our thing. Stop it. She's like, oh, but it's, but it's so nice and religion, whatever. And it very much has that tone of like, 
light one candle for here, will you? Like, just do it. Just do it. Why won't you do it? Seems like a nice thing to do. Just do it. Could be fun. Why don't you like candles? What's wrong with you? Like, yeah. Um, you're so right that that ambiguity is really brought home by the line breaks. You really bring it to a point there. Um, and there are other ways that the line breaks are kind of at play. As you noted, the word hanging is on its own line. So you get Christ criminal line break, hanging line break above eyes and mouth. So that right there is another instance of the line breaks kind of creating ambiguity about like, wait, I know what happened to Christ. He wasn't hanging. I mean, I guess you could call it that, but nobody calls it that because that's a different thing. Yeah. You know, and then it, you know, the, the rest of the information is revealed as to what it exactly means and it's you know you can make some assumptions about it based on what's already happened in the poem and the title like oh maybe it's a crucifix that's hanging somewhere but it's not talking about a crucifix it says hanging which is like wait what's what's with this i thought i knew the story of that and you're telling me something different before it fills in more so yeah ambiguity all over the place thanks line breaks you've done it again. <laughs> As a like little biographical side note, um, just I I find Franz Wright's work very interesting, but he notably had um, well he had a lot of struggles in his relatively short life. I think he died of lung cancer when he was like sixty two, but he had a period of what he called psychosis for like two years when he didn't write or like maybe even like speak or anything. And he had, um, and he had had a long battle with, um, like alcohol use. Um, but then kind of found like Christianity, like later in his life. And then it was this kind of like whole born again kind of thing. Um, but I always, found his um so this is kind of this is a poem from that period that i that i find like compelling in a way because it's this kind of it's this kind of faith that's like coming from a place of like both like really needing it but then also uh the darkness is like right there, you know, like right all around you. Yeah. Um, which I think is present in a lot of, you know, um, art about faith, but I think, yeah, I've always been, even though I'm not like religious, uh, myself, I've that kind of tormented, um, aspect to it i think is has always been very compelling to me and then and i feel like it really comes through in this poem definitely yeah it definitely has that tormented is a good word for it <laughs> that's <laughs> i think that's what's going on here yeah, yeah i was toying like in my mind i think when i was first reading it i was thinking of like darkness but tormented is so much more accurate <laughs> the last tidbit that i because i always this is like one of my favorite little bits of poetry uh gossip slash 
bio stuff. So he he's the son. He was the son of James Wright, who is also a very uh, we actually talked about another a James Wright poem earlier this week, um, a blessing. And um, they're like the only father, like parent child pair to like both have won a Pulitzer in like the same category, which is kind of interesting. Um, but James Wright was pretty absent as a father. And Franz was like really wanted his dad to you know be his dad so he wrote i think when he was a teen franz like sent james Wright, his dad a poem that he wrote like in the mail and then james Wright replied congratulations you're a poet welcome to hell (laughs) man yeah so tell you, literary folks and their dads <laughs> particularly if they're also did, a literary folk <laughs> i'm telling you or if they're not i'm thinking about franz kafka who had a oh super tormented relationship with his dad uh and wrote him a very long letter about it that he never sent <laughs> well he gave it to his mom yeah. and then his mom never gave it to yeah oh my gosh that the whole thing it's like 14 pages or something it's so long and it's so intense yeah it's really hard to read but also you can't stop reading it at any rate that's ambiguity and that is poetry indeed it is and this episode some of the stuff that we touched on in it is going to resonate pretty strongly with where we are ending up our examination of lines and line breaks in the next episode, because we're going to be talking about some similar things that line breaks can do. We're going to be looking at surprise via the line break, which I think you have hints at in, you know, the, the ambiguity of something like the lines from the Yeats poem. We also are going to be talking a little bit about how poems can reveal information with their line breaks in a way that's interesting and engaging and also how line breaks allow poets to play with time. So be sure to come back tomorrow for the thrilling conclusion to April National Poetry Month 2022 here on Close Talking. We do a week of episodes about something. This time it's line breaks. Here we go. That's what we're calling this thing, right? You nailed it. Yeah. So we'll see you tomorrow. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is co-host Jack Rossiter Munley. Just reminding you that there are a ton of ways that you can get in touch with us, and we love to hear from you. You can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com, or the show and Connor and myself are all on Twitter. That's another great way to connect. I am at Jack Rossiter Munn. Connor is at Connor M. Stratton, and the show is at Close Talking. You can also find us on Instagram at Close Talking Poetry or on Facebook at facebook.com slash close talking. See you next time.